Lord, how could we say thanks enough for what you did for us that day at Calvary? There are no words that we can come up with other than to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for taking on yourself the debt that no one else could pay. Thank you, Lord, for salvation, which is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you for this day that we get to celebrate and remember that week in which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hung on the tree and died for our sins. And he was buried. But the Bible says, and we believe, that Jesus Christ rose again victorious over death. And so, we have hope. And it's not a hope like the world has of hope so. But it is a hope defined as certainty. We know, Lord, that you are alive. We serve a risen Savior. And so this morning, I pray that our worship is acceptable in your sight. I pray, Lord, that we're, while we're here in body, Lord, that we would um, be alert and, Lord, be, be sensitive to your spirit as we sing and as we look into your word. I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide this morning. Uh, we want you to get all the glory. We pray all this in the precious name of the one and only Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's remain standing as we worship the Lord together.
so good. I was going to read the exact passage <laughs> that our beloved pastor just read, but I think it bears repeating. So hang me one second. My, clock, uh, my phone timed out on me. So the song that we're about to sing is about the response that you and I should have, not naturally, but supernaturally, to what Jesus Christ has done. And uh, exactly what Thad read was what I was going to read and it's about the response and I'll just read verse 24 again of um, 1 Peter chapter 2 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed and this song's about the response to what God has done
I'm taking this cough medicine, and um, so I was up with James Fan. Does that to me instead of putting me to sleep? It keeps me awake. So I was awake with him from a quarter to one till about a quarter to five, and then he gave permission for all of us to go to sleep. <laughs> I promise you I wanted to go to sleep before that. 
Um, this message today is one that um, the Lord just really gave to me last week, and um, it's just been amazing how he put it together. I can't explain it to you. It'd take me um, the whole time to explain that, but I want us to consider maybe someone in the scriptures that um, few have, and um, so I want you to take your Bibles and go to Mark's gospel in the 15th chapter, Mark chapter 15, and we're really going to focus in on verse 21. We'll, we'll read um, a little bit before that, after a while, but, um, you know, it's interesting, my mind kind of works, I don't know how, you, my mind probably works a little different than yours, I, I come to verses and I'm like, okay, this is interesting, and this is interesting, and it takes me to other sections of scripture, and I start thinking these thoughts, and then I think, well, are these guys really going to be interested in that? And then I'm like, well, I don't care if they're interested or not. I'm spending time studying it, and I'm going to give it to them. Um, so I wrestle with that all the time, but uh, this is how my mind works. In, in, in Mark 15, we're introduced in verse 21 to a character named Simon. So I got to thinking. Um, it seems like there were a few Simons in the life of the Lord. Think about it. Um, I'm about to give you the definition of the name Simon in just a minute, but um, if you think about it, uh, we run across Simeon, same Hebrew uh, name as Simon. We run across Simeon in Luke chapter 2. You remember that? Luke chapter 2. Um, we're told about Simeon. Very short section about Simeon. Not much at all. Um, and then uh, we are also told a very small amount about this guy named Simon from Cyrene. But then there's another Simon uh, in the life of the Lord. You know who that was? Yes, you do. Simon Peter, right? Ooh, you're scaring me. Um, and I got to thinking, that's pretty interesting. There are three Simons, two who briefly appear in the life of the Lord Jesus. Um, one at his birth and one at his death. And then you have Simon Peter, who everybody knows, right? And, and there's a lot written about him. But I'm really intrigued by this Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross. Um, my attempt, I hope, this morning is to build an argument that Simon of Cyrene, it wasn't an accident that he was chosen to carry that cross. Huh. Um, but I want us to look at what we have. We don't have too much about him, but I thought, well, we need to at least look and see what we do have and talk about it a little bit. So I want to talk about his name, the name Simon. So if you look at verse 21 of Mark 15, it says, And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. We'll come back to that. Um, that he might bear his cross. So as you're reading through the events, right, of the crucifixion of Christ, I mean, how many really land on that verse? Because there's so much going on, and, and the central figure is Christ. And we know that. But here's this guy that is likely there for Passover, okay? And so he's come to Jerusalem, and it, most theologians are in agreement that at Passover, Jerusalem increased by a population of over 100,000 people. So when it says he was out in the country, or he's coming from the country, he's not coming from the country inns and suites. He's staying out in the country because there's nowhere else to stay. Um, and we'll come to that a little bit more later. But I want to give you um, the meaning of his name. You know, um, 
all of us uh, give thought to names, right? When our children are born, we give thought to names. And if you're a young couple and you haven't had a child yet, the Lord blesses you with children, let me give you advice, husbands, just let your wife name the child. We'll keep you from an argument that does not need to happen. I wanted my son, one of my sons, to be named Thaddeus. So I'll just tell you this story. So Teresa is um, at the hospital, and we're waiting on Caleb. And um, <laughs> boy, oh boy, we won't go down that road. But anyway, so we're waiting on Caleb and uh, waiting on Caleb and waiting on Caleb. And finally, um, it gets time for Caleb to be born. And, and Teresa had already decided on the names if it was a boy, uh, it would be Caleb. If it was a girl, Cassie, is that right? Well, I forget. Anyway, we didn't have a girl, so it doesn't matter. Um, and so she uh, had to have a C-section, and she was kind of a little woozy a little bit when they rolled her out. And, um, and she said, what is I said, it's a boy. And, and um, sh- we talked about... Uh, the name, uh, the middle name, and she said, how about Thaddeus? I'm like, yes. So in case you want to know, Caleb's middle name is Thaddeus. And many of you have made promises to me that on your seventh or eighth child, you would name him Thaddeus. <laughs> We're waiting on that. All right. So the name Simon comes from the Hebrew name Shimon. This is very interesting you do a little study on this, which means to hear, means to listen, means to obey. And then Shaman comes from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear, to listen, and to obey. And if you trace the root of all that, it goes back to the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 you did some study on that you could do that that'll be assignment number one for this afternoon the Shema is what God told Israel that they were to do Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says hear O Israel the Lord is our God the Lord is one and then this is what he tells them and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And he tells them, and these words which I am commanding you today, notice that word commanding, okay? Commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Wow. He doesn't want Israel to what? Forget. Well, I got to thinking about that. And the Lord doesn't want us to forget. He wants us to be People who listen and obey. So I wrote for our consideration, number one, it is critical that we, the church, have ears to hear instruction from the Lord and respond in obedience. Where do we get our instruction? Class? The Word. So, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ then it's clear from the New Testament as to what God wants for his church. In fact, I would say it's black and white. It's pretty clear what he desires for his church. Ultimately, he desires that we glorify him in all things. How do we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we do so by following the command to make disciples. Right? We do so by being holy in all our behavior. I mean, the list can go literally 
on and on and on of the things that God wants for his church. The question becomes, do we have ears to hear? I'm looking out here today, I see a lot of ears. Do we have ears to hear the instruction that comes from God's word? And let's, let's just be real practical. In your week of 168 hours, that sounds like a lot of hours, doesn't it? But when you break down those hours, how much time are we giving to the Lord in order that we might hear his instruction? I got to thinking about that. I'm like, man, this is so important for Israel, right? The Shema. And they, they were to like, I mean, it was to be all over them, right? What the Lord wanted for them, they were to, to, to write it on their foreheads. They were right everywhere. You know, I was thinking about that. I thought, man, they're there to write it everywhere. And I got to thinking, you know, when I was in school, um, one of the things we used to do, we used to write on our hands. Do you ever write on your hand? Yeah. I wrote girls' phone numbers on my hand, right? Do you, do you, any of you men want to admit you did that right? And, and girls, they'd write your phone numbers. That was way, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. You had to really make an effort So the expectation, and this is important here, the expectation that God has for his church is that we would listen and that we would hear and that we would obey. You know, as you study Revelation in the churches, you remember chapters 2 and 3 where he's talking to the churches, and there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again, right? You remember the phrase? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what's very important in that? A lot, but I'm going to give you one thing that's really, really important in that. The Spirit. Are you listening to me? The Spirit. The Spirit of God is our instructor. Think about this. How sad this is. If all week long... A believer is waiting on the instruction of a human. Be it a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader. All week long they're just waiting on that person to deliver the message. That's sad. Because, you know what's great guys? We have the spirit of God, if we're believers, that lives in us, that indwells us. And we can receive his instruction every day. I like that. So, that all comes from the name, Simon. I gave you some facts here that I pulled from Unger's Bible Dictionary about his home. Um, I thought you might like to have it. I wasn't necessarily going to land the plane there, but I thought this would be good for you to have. Cyrene was about 730... No, 783 miles from Jerusalem. Long way off. Okay? And we can see that um, with the city, Cyrene, and where he was from, that ultimately there were representatives there at Pentecost, which was some 50 days after the Passover. And so if you go to Acts chapter 2, I have to show you this. Can you do that, please? Acts chapter 2. I want to hear those Bibles. Acts chapter 2. You can see there, I think it's point six. Jews from Cyrene were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Oh, you only have one through four there, sorry. <laughs> Let's fast forward. Take a picture. Hold on. Take a picture of it if you need it, right? People say, Thad, you go too fast. Take a picture of it. And then we'll go to slide two on his home. Okay. Um, Jews from Cyrene were in Jerusalem in Acts chapter two tells us that which Acts chapter 2 is a marker in our Bibles, is it not? Because that's when the church began, right? And so in Acts chapter 2, verse number, let's start with verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around where? Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And what's being said? Look at this. We hear them in our own what? Tongues. Doing what? Speaking of the mighty deeds or acts of God. And so I thought for our consideration, it would be good for us as believers in Christ to consider the mighty deeds and acts of God, not only from the scriptures, but in our own lives. Do you know that we should have a running testimony? Do you know that? It shouldn't just be, well, back in 1977, I got saved. Well, I'm glad you got saved back in 1977 or 2001, but there should be a running testimony, should there not? Of the mighty acts of God. And we're not limited to Scripture. That's where we need to plan ourselves, but we see mighty acts of God going on all the time, don't we? I watched this um, documentary. I was telling some of the guys about it this morning as I was researching and doing just some research on the cross. Um, I ran across this documentary that uh, Billy Graham, I guess Franklin probably put it out, and it's called The Cross. And if you haven't seen it, it is very sound theologically. They do a tremendous job presenting the gospel and in that, 25 minutes, and if you just look it up, look it up this afternoon. Watch it. Please watch it. I've been praying about a time where we could have that and show that and invite people who need to hear about the cross. It is wonderful. I mean, for 25 minutes, I was stuck to the screen. And in that, there's a testimony of two people who come to know the Lord. Coming to know the Lord, that's a mighty act of God, right? So I'm like, wow, I mean, for us, we should just be like, people should just be telling us to be quiet because we should have so much to say about the Lord, right? I mean, I have a lot to declare about the mighty acts of God, not only what's said in Scripture, but what God's done in my family. I just, with friends. In fact, I located a guy that I grew up with in the neighborhood in Louisiana in Lake Charles not too, too long ago, and I wrote him a, a, a little, I guess, a, what do you call it, email thing, and I sent it to him, and we hadn't talked in 40-something years. And do you know one of the mighty acts of God that I got to witness in the life of my friend was him coming to the, know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. See, we, I don't know that um, we get excited enough about that. When people come to know Christ, because we're talking about eternity here. So, anyway, I thought for our consideration, um, we ought to consider the mighty acts of the Lord, just as the early church did. Um, all right. Well, let's move to his experience. The experience of Simon. All right, so we mentioned the fact that he came some 783 miles. Now, Cyrene was on the uh, northern coast, a little bit inland, in North Africa, okay? And so, whether he went by boat, I got no idea. But if he went by land to Jerusalem, I, I did a little bit of research. If he went four miles per day it would have taken him 30-plus days to get to Jerusalem. I mean, if you think about how travel over time has changed, I mean, imagine, right, we can get where we want to in no time, even those of us who hate to fly, right? You can be somewhere pretty quick. Um, but not back then, right? So there's effort being made here. Um, I already mentioned the fact that he was likely there in Jerusalem for Passover. Um, and remember I mentioned to you that 
at Passover, uh, most theologians agree that, that Jerusalem's population increased by over 100,000 people. Um, he was out in the country, and um, then there comes this event that I guarantee you, when he woke up that day, he didn't know about. It wasn't on the radar. In fact, I would even argue, I'm not even sure Jesus Christ was on his radar. Just like it happened to you guys, right? Jesus Christ wasn't on your radar until you got saved. Well, it's interesting that this experience here is mentioned in three of the four Gospels. So, just so I can tell you where, in Matthew 27, verse 32, we're told about the experience of Simon. Where in Mark 15, verse 21, tells us about the experience of Simon, and then Luke chapter 23 and verse 26, and we're going to refer to that one a little bit later because the language there is a little bit different. hope you brought a bag lunch. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. John indicates that Jesus began carrying the cross. By the way, there's no problem with that. Um, John 19, 17 tells us that. But at some point in time, it was apparent to the Roman soldiers that Jesus could no longer do that. And in the context of the passage, we're going to see why. Um, notice the verse, verse 21 of Mark 15. The text tells us and it does so in the other passages as well, although there is different language in Luke's passage. Um, in Mark 15, verse 21, it tells us they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country. Um, Simon didn't volunteer his services. But think about this. All these people, we're not talking about five people. We're talking about bunches of people there at Passover and Jesus Christ starts out carrying his cross and comes to a point where he's not doing that anymore. We're going to see just in the text, I mean, the text tells us what he was going through. Um... The word press means to force or to compel against one's will. But listen, if you're Simon and a Roman soldier says, come on, guess what? You're not like, nah, I'll get back to you. No, you're doing it. The Roman soldier is in charge. You're not saying no. But you know what was Random to the Roman soldier, my friends, was the providence of God, I believe, in the life of one Simon. Well, um, next fact, Simon went from being one among many at Passover to one carrying the cross of the Savior. Imagine that. He wakes up that day, he comes in from the country to observe Passover and all of a sudden, this event's going on. Crucifixion of Christ and two criminals. Um, and at some point in time, he's pulled out of the crowd by the Roman soldiers and he's forced to carry the cross. It's interesting, if you read the section, the entire section, it kind of gives you a little bit better picture. So I, I thought at this point we should do that. Look at this. Chapter 15, verse 1. Here it is. Here's the scene. And early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him up to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him. Are you the king of the Jews? And answering, he said to him, It is as you say. 
And the chief priests began to accuse him harshly. And Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you make no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was astonished. Now look at this, this is very important. At the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with, with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had delivered him up because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the multitude to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Now remember... Palm Sunday, he's riding in on a colt, and by the end of the week, they're yelling what? Crucifying! Crucifying! But the chief priest stirred up the multitude to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do to him who you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate was saying to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him! And wishing to satisfy the multitude, Pilate released Barabbas for them. Now here it is. And after, and after having scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. You know, Roman scourging, right? You know what scourging was? And they took the whip and they lined it with metal pieces and even lamb's teeth, and they would take that, they would take that whip and they would drive it into the flesh, into the back of the person, and rip flesh away, even to the point where ribs were exposed. So you know, I don't know what we think about when we think about Christ was whipped, but that's the mind that we need to have. His flesh was being torn apart. Guys, and the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole, the whole Roman cohort, and they dressed him up in purple, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on him. So they're mocking him. Because what did he tell Pilate? It is as you say. I am king of the Jews. <laughs> they dressed him up in purple, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on him. You know, when I reread this several times this week, I thought, man, Lord, you did all that for me. And he didn't do anything wrong. And they began to acclaim him, hell, king of the Jews. Then look at verse 19. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting at him. Now, I've never been scourged. I've never been beaten with a reed or a rod, but I've been spit on. That's personal, isn't it? They spit on him. And kneeling and bowing before him, mocking him. You know, I got to thinking, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I hope you're going to do that because you know him. Because everyone's going to do that Notice verse 20, and after they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now that's the shape he's in when you come to verse 21. That's what's going on. That's the context. 
And at some point, he can't carry his cross. At least that's the way the Roman soldiers saw it to be. And he was going to be crucified. Well, how does the rest of the verse fit? Another observation for you. Mark tells us that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So if you read the other sections, if you read Matthew's account and you read Luke's account, their names aren't there. So what do you have to do? Class, what do you have to do? Why are they there? At least that's what I did. I was in my office. Why are they there? Why add this detail? Well, I think the scripture gives us some indication of that. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Romans chapter 16. Now this is in a section where we probably don't like read it every day for our quiet times, right? Um, this is probably not the most popular section because he's got some greetings going on here. But you come down to verse 13 of chapter 16 of Romans, and what does it say? Great Rufus. Hey, I've heard of that dude's name before. And you know what? I believe that not only is he mentioned here in Romans, but I believe the reason that he's mentioned in Mark's gospel, which was written to the Romans, was because they knew him. <laughs> That's what makes sense to me. They knew of Alexander and they knew of Rufus. And so if Romans was written in 57 or 58, as most, most theologians believe, then some 10 years later, the Gospel of Mark, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> They're greeting somebody they know. Notice what the verse says. A choice man in the Lord. He was a chosen man. You know, let's get uncomfortable for a second. For some people it is. But God chooses. It's clear from the Bible. He make God chooses. The Bible says in him we were chosen before the foundation of the world. It's what it says in Ephesians. There's no getting around it. You can't get around that. And you know, as I've gotten older in the Lord... I don't go, wow, man, look, I've been chosen by the Lord. But in humility, I say, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. I'm thankful. Just like I hope every believer in this room is thankful. Because at some point in time, you were unsaved. And somebody presented the gospel to you, and you heard what was said. You heard, right? That Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. You heard that. That you're a sinner in need of a savior. And you remember that time? Do you? I hope you do. If you don't, you need to come see me afterwards. Do you remember that time when the spirit of God convicted you of your sin? And your need for Christ? Every believer has that testimony. Every true believer has the testimony of being convicted of their sin and their need for Jesus Christ the Lord. So here's this man named Rufus. The Bible says he was a cho cho chosen man in the Lord. And notice even Paul had a relationship, apparently a good relationship with the mother of Rufus and Alexander, who was Simon's wife. To the point that he refers to her as his mother and mine. There must have been a close connection here with this family. <laughs> right? 
I like what one theologian wrote. He put it like this. He says, Why add this information unless the initial readers of this gospel, the Christians in Rome, knew of Alexander and Rufus? Then he goes on to write, It's also interesting that some ten years before this, gospel was written, the letter to the Romans mentions Rufus. Could the Rufus of Romans 16 be the son of Simon of Cyrene? If so, he writes, then Simon's wife, the mother of Rufus, became a really close friend of Paul. And then he closes with this, if this is correct, then that day on the road to Golgotha was transforming for Mr. Simon of Cyrene. He wasn't just carrying anybody's cross. Imagine what he heard. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could interview Simon? What did you hear, Simon? What did you hear that day? (laughs) All right, a couple of more observations and then we'll close. Another interesting observation of Simon is given to us in Luke's account. He wrote this, and when they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And I thought it was interesting that Luke would emphasize Simon's position. That's just my own observation. I thought, well, Luke put the words there. And he emphasizes the position of Simon. He's behind the Lord Jesus. So I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts this morning. And you can go home and do some more study for yourself. And if you come up with some more stuff, please call me and share it. Here it is. For our consideration number three, what many would consider to be a chance encounter, I would propose was a divine appointment. I would propose to you there's enough evidence here that it was a divine appointment. And it wasn't an accident or by chance that Simon of Cyrene was plucked out of that crowd. It was the providence of our Lord. Well, the last one for consideration. The position of Simon in relationship to Jesus I believe is a great picture for every believer to remember. We're not called to lead or go before the Lord Jesus. We're called to follow the Lord Jesus. Um, I read just recently about a man who published a somewhat controversial book. This was the title, The 100. It was written in 1978. A ranking of the most influential persons in history. You ever heard of that? Unsurprisingly, Jesus Christ made the list. Now, this guy was an astrophysicist and a historian. But Jesus Christ made the list. He wasn't number one, however. He was number three. He was behind Muhammad... And Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. But Michael Hart acknowledged that Jesus' teaching were, teachings were surely among the most remarkable and original ethical ideas ever presented. But he continued, and I thought this was, wow. I just read it and I went, Wow. But he continued, if they were widely followed, I would have no hesitation in placing Jesus first in this book. And then he goes on to say, in Hart's opinion, Jesus' influence on the world has been considerably diminished by those who claim to follow him but do not abide by his teaching." I thought, you know what? Yeah, I see that. It's sad to say, but I see it. I mean, right? How many people are out there saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing there. They're dead. 
They're following a religion. It's a religious exercise to them. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is not a religion. He's a person. And what's offered to us is a personal relationship. That's what's offered to us. Just as Kevin read earlier, as I read, I didn't, we didn't know we were going to read the same passage. But Christ died for all. He paid the penalty for all. And I trust that today you're sitting in here and you know without a doubt that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that's true. And one day, guys, when we get to heaven, I sure hope we see Simon of Cyrene and we're able to interview the man ourselves and ask him what that day was like for him. At the end of the day, everyone is confronted with the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, as I was starting out last week, I'm like, I don't know who this message is going to be for. I mean, I, I'm interested in it. It's, it's just so awesome to read. And, and um, as the enemy always does, he's right in there saying, ah, they're not going to listen to that. Then you reminded me, Lord, that every verse in Scripture is there for a reason. So, we're confronted with a man named Simon of Cyrene. And it appears to me, just in what we have contained in your word, that this man was changed along with his family. Lord, I pray that all of us would think about that this morning. How has Jesus Christ changed our lives? If there's one in here today who has not turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today could be the day of salvation. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that, that doesn't know you, Lord, I would, just, I would love that your spirit would convict them of their sin and their need for the Savior who is Christ. And Lord, for those of us that have opportunities that belong to you this week as we're presented with opportunities to share, I pray, Lord, in this coming week that um, as we come, as we approach Easter Sunday, that our conversation will be more about Jesus Christ and his resurrection than anything else. And Lord, I pray you would help us to see the importance of acknowledging all your wonderful works and the work of salvation and how you do that and how your spirit convicts us and, and Lord, how we're drawn to you and, and Lord, how we come to you by faith. It's, all that's amazing. It's a miracle. And we're thankful for it. And I pray, Lord, that those of us who know you would be very free to share about you. Just as I imagined that day, as Simon went back out to the country, wow, he had a story to tell. And Lord, I pray that we would be so impressed with what you're doing in our lives and with who you are, just with who you are, that we can't stop talking about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his wonderful name I pray. Amen. Guys, you can remain seated. Um, this last song, um, if, wherever you're at in a relationship with Jesus, the cross is about second chances. And that's the name of this song. And um, it's a very personal song. So uh, y'all listen to the words as we sing second chance.
second chance is heaven's heart. My future hangs on this. You make preciousness from dust. Please don't stop creating me. Your blood offers the chance to rewind to innocence. Reborn, perfect as a child. Oh, your cross it changes everything. Second chance is heaven's heart. When sin and ugliness collide with redemption's kiss, beauty awakens my romance. Always inside this mess, I have found forgiveness. Mercy is infinite as you. Oh, your cross, it changes everything. There my world begins again with you. Oh, your cross, it's where my hope restarts. Second chance is heaven's heart. Countless second chances we've been given at the cross. Countless second chances. Salvaged by the art of grace, you craft life from our mistakes. Black skies of my regrets, outshone by this kindness. New life dawns over my soul. Oh, your cross changes everything there my world begins again with you oh your cross it's where my hope restarts a second chance is heaven's Chances we've been